You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Just in front of everyone here, I do want to say thank you to you and Shirley for leading with humility and integrity. And I appreciate the way you lead. And uh, this church, Victory Alabang, is blessed, fortunate to have Ariel and Shirley as your pastors and leaders. And Deborah and I are consider ourselves fortunate to have you as our friends. We're going to look for the next few weeks all over our Victory Churches in Metro Manila at the idea of faith. And we're going to study it for seven weeks through the life of Abraham. It is common for people's faith to sometimes have ups and downs. It is unfortunately common for some people to stray from the faith. And hopefully the sermon today, if you have strayed in any way, will help you bring you back to the core and the center of your faith. A number of years ago, we were visiting our church, Victory Dubai, and we had a day off after a conference. And our pastor, our good friend, Ruel Asuncion, took us out into the desert just outside of Dubai, and as far as you can see are sand dunes that go up and down and up and down and up and down. It seems like forever. There's nothing green. There are no signs or landmarks. It all looks exactly the same. And Ruel said we're going to rent these. He called them quad bikes. We called them four-wheelers. They're like motorcycles with four wheels. And we're getting on these bikes, June Escosar, me, and Ariel. I think Michael Padaris may have been there as well. And so we're going to ride up and down these sand dunes. And the warning they gave us at the headquarters where you rent these things, they said, in case you get lost. And I thought, okay, this is not a good idea. Uh, Right at the beginning, in case you get lost, they said, it all looks the same. It's easy to lose your bearings. Then what you should do is go to the top of the tallest sand dune you can find and look around until you see the flag and the the flag is right here next to us and this flag was taller than any of the sand dunes and it was just a red flag and so he said no matter where you are if you get lost go to the top of the nearest sand dune look and find and head toward the flag so now you're doing this back and forth up and down and the flag brings you back hopefully your experience at church is kind of like that flag What we're going to do today is get to the top of a sand dune and we're going to find that flag and we're headed back in a right relationship with God. Our text in the book of Genesis, we're going to look at the story of Abraham. Here his name is Abram. Later on he gets a nickname, Abraham. How many of you have a nickname? People don't call you what your name really is. Nearly everybody has one. My newest grandson, Jonathan Edward Merle Jr., I call him John June with H's. There's an H in John and an H in June. John June. Nobody else calls him that, just me. Here we go. Genesis 11, verse 31. Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarah his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. 
The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. Verse 10, now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now, let me tell you a little background that'll help you the next today and the next six weeks. Abram lived, he eventually became known as Abraham. He lived 175 years. The first 75 years, that's this part of his life, okay? This stay, this part of the stay. This is his first 75 years. We know nothing about him. Nothing. Except that he's from Ur of the Chaldees. That's uh, modern day Iraq. He's an Iraqi. 75 years, we know nothing. The final 50 years of his life, we know nothing. The first 75 years of his life, he's an insignificant nobody. The final 50 years of his life, he is a living legend. He's the father of the faith. He's the founder of a nation. He is the person we name our children after, right? He's a big shot. He's the man. But we know nothing about any of that. The Bible tells us nothing about the first 75 years, virtually nothing about the last 50 years. It's the middle 50 where we have all the details. Guess what happened in the middle 50? If the first 75 years were years of insignificant nobody, the last were years of significant leadership, he is leading massively the middle 50 is a season of testing, trials, attacks, near-death experiences, family strife, failure, repentance, failure, repentance, despite the title of our series, Wavering Faith. Sometimes I wonder when Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 4, where we get our title, Unwavering Faith. Sometimes I wonder, Paul, did you read Genesis? I'm sure he did. (laughs) More than I did. But there were so many ups and downs in this 50-year period, and that's what we'll look at the next seven weeks. 
And isn't it interesting that the part of Abram's life that God gives us so many details about, it wasn't the before, and it wasn't the time of great success and great leadership. It was the struggle to become that man. It was the working of God to create someone who would be a world-changing father, grandfather, husband, nation builder, founder, father of the faith. But don't you wish we could jump from there to there and bypass the middle? Sometimes I wish I didn't have to live in this. I wish I could either stay there as an insignificant nobody or just leapfrog over to the place of great, mature, godly leadership. But I don't know, sometimes I feel stuck in the middle, in the struggle, in the testing of my faith, in the moments of great faith, followed by moments of great fear, moments of great, great decisions, followed by the dumbest decisions I've ever made. Living in there, in the middle of that, and the Bible gives us so many details. Here's the story. That's Ur of the Chaldees. And God called Abram from there to there. That's the promised land. But you can't go across the desert. You die. And so his route, he went along the river. Smart guy, right? That's approximately a 60-day journey in the way they traveled. Uh, there were no buses or jeepneys or tricycles or airplanes or any of that. So they're on foot with camel, maybe a donkey or something. So we're talking about approximately 30 days and then another 30, about 60 days. But here's what happened. They get up there to Haran. And the Bible tells us they stopped and settled. They started out right. Man, we are obeying God. We don't know where we're going, but we are obeying God. We're, we don't know all the details. We're going to do what God said. But some reason, somehow, I don't know why, they stopped halfway. We all know people who started out in hot pursuit of God's will and God's face and God's purpose. And some reason, somewhere along the way, they slowed down gradually and imperceptibly. And then at some point we realized they stopped and they settled halfway toward what God had for them. Eventually, after settling in Haran, eventually they get to the promised land. And you know what happens in verse 7? It tells us in the promised land, God appeared to Abram. First time in the whole Bible God has ever appeared to anyone. First time it's ever been recorded that God appeared. Now, I don't know what that means exactly because there were times when God appeared as an angel. There were times like with Moses when he appeared in a burning bush. There were times in the book of Daniel when he appeared and they thought it was an angel, but it was like a son of a man. So it was, you know, Jesus making an appearance there. They really didn't understand. There are a lot of different ways God has appeared. Sometimes he appeared like to Joseph in the New Testament story in a dream. And so, so many ways God appeared, but this is the very first one. And so God appears to Abram in the promised land. All is well. So what does Abram do? He builds an altar. And I want you to remember that word altar. Because when you read about Abraham's life, Abraham's life is a pattern of altars. Altars were common in that day. In fact, if you go to that land now, my son visited this part of the land and we were talking last night. He spent a month there camping out and on a study tour and they found all kinds of altars. There, you can still find them, thousand-year-old altars. They weren't elaborate. They were stone. 
So God appears and Abram builds an altar. Now he's in what is in the New Testament called Shechem is that city. But he finds out there are Canaanites there. And the problem is the Canaanites did not get the memo that God was giving what they thought was their land. God was giving it to this immigrant. Immigration is always an issue. (laughs) God's giving their land to an immigrant, but they didn't really agree with that. And so the Canaanites were less than happy and less than hospitable. And so Abram moves on from the altar he set at what is Shechem, and he moves a little bit further, kind of southeast, and ends up in a place called Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And there he builds another altar, and you see Abram on his journey when he, this relationship with God is sort of the symbol of it of these altars he builds. And he builds an altar, and he first, God appears, he builds an altar. Now he gets to Bethel, he builds an altar, and it says, he cries out to the name of the Lord. He cries out to God. And so that altar was a place of worship. It was a place of prayer. It was a place of meeting with God. And in the culture then, and throughout the Old Testament, the altar was always a place of sacrifice. Sacrifices to cover sin. So here's the journey. He goes from Ur, he settles, eventually gets to the promised land. But then if you look in, I believe it is verse 10, it says, now there was a famine in the land. Wait a minute. I thought it was the promised land. Isn't this land he's sending them to, this Cana, this this land that God's giving them, isn't it supposed to be happily ever after? But they get there and there are Canaanites who are less than welcoming and now there's a famine. Have you ever felt like you were right in the middle of God's will? Anybody ever felt like that? You obeyed God. You did what he said. Now I'm in God's will. Anybody? I hope, I hope everybody's done that at some point in your life. And you get there. God's appearing. Worship. There's a closeness. There's a relationship. Everything seems wonderful. And then famine hits. Maybe it was that job you prayed for. That's God's will. I'm taking that job and it's wonderful for a season and then it goes bad. Maybe it's this church. Maybe this church was your promised land. Maybe this church was where God sent you and man, I found, I found my people. I found the greatest pastor in the world. I found the most wonderful, loving people in the world. And then it's not. Some of you just haven't been here long enough. Some of you, it's your marriage. For that she is just the perfect, amazing, all of that. And then after a little while, that promised land, that Cana. What do you do when you get in the middle of God's will and it's not quite what you hoped it would be? What do you do when you feel like you're pursuing God and you land in his will and there are Canaanites there who want to kill you and there's famine? It's not just an eat all you can buffet every day, there's a problem. You know, God, if I could summarize the covenantial promises God gave Abram and then they're repeated over and over and there are little nuances each time. If I could summarize the promises, he promised descendants. But you know what the problem was? He had a barren wife. He promised land. The problem was there were Canaanites who thought it was their land. He promised protection. The problem was there were Canaanites and Pharaoh and Abimelech who could have killed him. Every time there was a promise, there was a problem. Every promise of God, you will have to fight the fight of faith. It is not like room service where it just shows up. Yeah, you've got a promise from God. Then if you're going to see it happen in your life, you will have to learn to fight not flesh and blood, not humans. Fight 
the fight of faith. Every promise God gave Abram, there was a problem. And this one, the promised land, the provision that's promised, there's a famine. So what did he do? Did he fight the fight of faith? What does our Bible tell us? What did he do? He went to Egypt. Where did God call him? Where did God tell him to go? Cana. He got to Cana, visions from God, worship moments, appearances of God. Oh, but wait a minute, there's Canaanites who want to kill me. Okay, we can deal with that. We'll just move to Bethel. There's not so many there. Another altar, hearing from God, everything's wonderful. And then famine hits. God called him to Cana. Famine hits. What does he do? He leaves Cana and goes to Egypt. Did God call him to Egypt? No. God called him to Cana. You know what he did in Egypt? When he gets there, he looks at his wife and he says, you know, Sarah, God blessed me with a beautiful wife, the most beautiful wife in all of the Middle East. Here's the problem. The way pharaohs and kings work, uh, you know, if they see someone beautiful, they just take them and kill the husband. Remember, David did that with Bathsheba. Just took her, killed the husband. That's just the way it worked with kings. It's not right. It's just reported in the Bible. So he goes, I've got an idea. Let's tell him you're my sister. Yeah. Wisdom from God. He had never been to Pastor Ariel and Shirley's marriage seminar, apparently. So they cut a deal. And so, sure enough, Pharaoh sees her. She's beautiful. Let's take out her husband. And No, 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 I'm not the husband. I'm her brother. Would you like to have her? And so what happens? He gives his wife. Pharaoh thinks that's the brother. And so now the brother, the brother gets rich, right? The husband would have gotten dead, but the brother got rich. Instead of being a blessing to Egypt, as God promised, I'll make you a blessing to all nations, he became a curse. When we get out of a relationship with God, the very people we're supposed to be a blessing to, we become a curse to them. You can read the rest of it, long story, but what happens, he finally comes to his senses, and he leaves Egypt, and in chapter 13, verse 2, it says he leaves Egypt very rich. Listen to me. It is possible and quite common to be in God's will, and it's a famine, and to turn your back on God's will and leave God's will and get rich. Happens all the time. I watch it every day. People who pursue money rather than pursuing God. He got rich. You can read how the riches damaged his relationships as you read the further chapters, but that's not our point today. This section, the time he's in Egypt. Remember, remember his journey? When he's over here in Ur, it's before he knew God. We know nothing about it. We don't have any altars there. No God appearing, no crying out to God, nothing. But he hears from God, he gets to Haran. Still no altars. He finally gets to the promised land. There are altars. There's hearing from God. He's moving these altars around. But then what happens? He gets to Egypt. This section right here, in chapter 12, verses 10 through 20, when he's in Egypt, is the only part of this journey now where there are no altars. From the time he met God until he dies, you see these altar after altar after altar. There's no mention of God appearing, no mention of God speaking, no mention of Abram praying to God, calling out to God, not one altar. His relationship with God has been left behind. He's moved on because of money. But you know what? When he comes back, he does come back very rich. But is that really worth it? The damage he did to his relationship with his wife, the damage he did to his relationship with God, the damage he did to his testimony among the Egyptians. But you know what? When he comes back in chapter 13, 
Where's the first place he goes? Right back to Bethel, the last place he heard from God. And what is the first thing he does when he gets to Bethel? He builds an altar. And he begins to cry out to God. And you see he gets back to the place where he last knew God. Now, that's the story for today of Abraham. And let's look at what there is for us to learn. Is there something that matters in that story for us in our faith walk with God, in our relationship with God? If you look now to what his son learned about this, Genesis 26, this is Abram's son, Isaac. Let's look at this. This is eerily familiar. And as you read the book of Genesis, you'll find there's a story of Abraham and the same story repeats itself with Isaac over and over and over. And then you see, did he learn anything from his father's mistakes? Sometimes he did, sometimes he did not. Watch this, verse one. Now there was a famine in the land. Sound familiar? What land? The land where God called them. The land where God's will was. The land where God wanted them to be. And listen, if you don't hear anything else, hear this. Just because things are tough does not mean you're out of God's will. Some of you have heard maybe a little too much of what's labeled as the prosperity gospel, where if everything's going well and you have money and, and, and material success, then that's somehow a sign that everything's okay with you and God. It's not really what the Bible teaches here. Now, there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine in the days of Abraham, and Isaac went to Gerard. You keep going south, and now we're getting closer and closer to the Egyptian border. So here's what Isaac did. Remember what Abraham did? When the famine hit, he headed to Egypt. So here's what Isaac does. The famine hits, he starts heading toward Egypt. But look what the scripture says in verse 2 of chapter 13. And the Lord appeared to him, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land. Now, I don't know if God did that when Abram started heading toward Egypt. If he did, he didn't listen. But here's Isaac about to make the same mistake his father did. We're in the land. Things are great. Famine hits. Uh, start moving out of God's will. God speaks. Don't do it. He's inching closer and closer to Egypt, but he stops somewhere near the border. He stayed in the land. Now, what does any of this mean to us as I try to bring this to a close? In our relationship with God, and it's what we're trying to talk about. You've got, at one point, Abram was on his way to God's will, and he settled halfway. There are people who are halfway with God. They're not all in. They've taken some steps in the right direction, but you know what? Today, I hope you hear a call from God to stop settling and to go all in, all the way, leave nothing out. Secondly, there are people who get in the middle of God's will, but it gets tough. There's no denying that it gets tough. But what you've done is you, now you've gotten out of God's will. Today is a call to get back to God. And then there are some of you, like Isaac, you've been in the middle of God's will and some things got difficult and you were kind of gradually moving toward the border and getting out of the center. It's time to turn back around and get in the center of God's will. Remember I told you about going up on the top of those dunes? What is it we're looking for? There's not a red flag we're waving here. When I think about the altars in the Old Testament, 
the last altar that Abraham built. We'll get to it in a few weeks. I don't want to preempt the sermon that Pastor Ariel is going to preach in about four weeks. But it'll be in Genesis 22. And the last altar Abram ever made was at the top of the mountain. And he was going to sacrifice his son. And then the word of the Lord came and said, I will provide the sacrifice. What is that sacrifice? An altar in the Old Testament was a place to meet God and a place of sacrifice. Where is that in the New Testament? That's the cross. That place of sacrifice is where God sent his own son to sacrifice all, not halfway, not partially, to sacrifice all, to pay the penalty to cover our sins. The cross is where we run to, to get back to our relationship with God. The cross is where our relationship with God starts. The cross is where our relationship with God grows. The phrase in old-timey church, at the foot of the cross, is where we meet him. So when I was on that sand dune looking for a flag to get my way back home, I followed that. You know, you want to find your way back to God, you follow the cross. You find the place where God sacrificed all, where Jesus died for our sins. We don't go halfway there. We don't go there, and then when it gets hard, we leave and go back and forth, back and forth. We go and we find a place at the cross. As we wrap up today, I want you to bow your heads, and I want us to take a moment in prayer. Lord, thank you that you've called us to relationship with you, but our sins have caused a separation. Our sins have caused a distance. But Lord, you provided a sacrifice for our sins. You provided blood that would cover and forgive our sins. And we're grateful for the free gift of salvation, the free gift of forgiveness. Lord, for those here today who have only gone halfway, I pray, Lord, you would move them forward to the center of your will. For those who have found themselves in your will and they've gotten out, they've gone to Egypt, they've, they've backslidden, they've turned away, I pray, Lord, you call them back today. And Lord, anyone who's on their way out, I pray you'd stop them. Lord, thank you. Thank you for calling us into relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen.